Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. If you were here last week, it was a pretty special week. And... Um, I don't know why we get surprised when God moves, but we do. And uh, we should live our lives with that expectancy and anticipation that God's going to move all the time. You know, I was just talking to Jenny just before the start of the service. <clears throat> and uh, she said, you know, something became evident for her this week, and, and that's great. Um, she said, I don't know why I didn't pray, pray about this earlier. And I think we live such natural lives, so carnal lives. We forget to ask God first, you know, and, and then check everything else. And you need to do everything that is appropriate in that. You need to pursue whatever avenue that might be for whatever you're going through. But we forget to put God first. And, um, you know, in, in, as a consequence of last week, some of you don't know what's going on in, in the lady's life that was out the front here, but she's had a very bad diagnosis of uh, melanoma cancer. And uh, in the natural, it looks pretty horrible. And, uh, uh, but in the process of just the altar call and, and that previous week, she said, hear this. <laughs> she actually had the best week of her life, she said, after she got that prognosis. Now, not straight away. She had to process it a little bit and then step into what God wanted to say to her about that and through that. And she felt like she actually got healed on that Sunday morning. Now, we've got no evidence of that. We've got no prognosis for that. But whether it was a physical healing or a spiritual healing or an emotional healing, who knows? But she got freed up in that process, you know, and, and that's the most important thing, you know. Um, there were apparently... Uh, broken bones that were actually broken were healed on that Sunday morning. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen every day in my life. And, uh, and so I get a little bit excited about that. I, I love to see God move in that miraculous realm. Now, here's the thing. You can sit there and be really sceptical and, and cynical. And, and I know there are people sitting here right now doing that. Going, well, you can do that. But that shuts down God's reaction or possibilities in God in your life. I'm telling you, it does. You know, uh, you only have to look at the faith levels that the, the guys in the Bible had with Jesus. You know, and, and Jesus was astounded with someone's great faith, but he was also just amazed at someone's lack of faith. And we have to be a people of faith. You know, and, and, and I'm telling you, God does the miraculous. It's us that gets in the way of that sometimes or letting him do what he wants to do. Because we have our, our own agenda, our own uh, perception of what they'll look like. And uh, we get our own natural carnal man working in that and going, well, it couldn't be, that couldn't be the case. Huh, how could that happen, you know? Um, well, God's God. And he's beyond our understanding of what that might look like. So, so church, I don't know what that means for you in your life. But I'm telling you, sometimes we've just got to drop some stuff. We've got to get rid of some stuff, our, 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 the way we think about things, the way we are living our lives, to let us step into the thing that God would want for us and the potential and the possibilities on our lives and in our circumstances. Because until we do that, we're just going to stay in the same cycle that you're in. Now, if you're happy in that cycle and you don't want to grow in God, that's fine. Stay where you are. If I can't make you do anything... But if you want more of God, start unlocking some of that that you've carried with you. Start to step into that next level in God. You know, if you are really happy where you are, God bless you and have a great life, you know. But I don't know about you, I want more of God. Less of me, more of God. You know, that, that's what I see in the Bible. It's the way we're meant to outwork our Christianity, the way, way we're meant to be disciples of Christ. And until we actually get over ourselves sometimes, we're never actually going to step into that potential that God has got for each one of us.
wasn't in my notes, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I'm still trying to work out what, what really did happen last week. And all I know is that someone was seeking God with all their heart because they've got no other options. And wouldn't it be great to live our lives like that? To seek God with all our heart without the other options. I don't know. It just would make our life very much more simplified, wouldn't it? You know, this week I've had a lot on. And, uh, you know, besides the daytime stuff, different meetings, ministers' meetings and different things. And uh, we start our, our Fall in Love, Stay in Love course on, on Tuesday night and uh, it was full and I think there's another group already almost waiting to do the next course. So if you are interested in doing that, you need to get locked in early because they're filling up really quickly and that's a great thing. Um, you know, on Wednesday night we finalised our Thrive uh, course where it's about where you fit in the church and, and we've got about 25 people that have been doing that. And uh, I love sitting with those people and working through their consultations afterwards and going, well, what's God shown you in that process? Where, where do you think you fit? You know, what, what does that look like for you? And, uh, and it's stunning the revelation that people get. Uh, and, and it's nice for us to be able to observe that as well, you know, and say, wow, that, that's amazing what God's laid in your life. Let's, let's see how we pursue that and let's see where that goes, you know. And, and uh, so exciting when, when you do that stuff, I, I reckon. Uh, on Thursday night... Um, I got asked to lecture down at Macquarie uh, Life Bible College and uh, I did a chapel um, before the college itself and, and, uh, and in the process of, of doing the chapel uh, and then lecturing, I actually realised how blessed we were. I mean, Macquarie's a great church and I, I, love, I love the church because that's where we're out of. And, and, uh, but we actually shared some of our church testimony in, as a part of the lecture that I did as a resource in the kingdom of God. And um, it was a leadership lecture, and, and uh, it just reminded me how blessed we are as a church. And I never want to forget that. I never want to, to forget about what God's done, the significant stuff God's done in, in our church, in us, in resourcing, in, in so many levels where it looked like we were stuck, and then God opened a new door or a new window for the next level. And uh, I, I love that. I, I just love that when it, I get reminded of that, and, and people. You know, they go, oh, wow, did God really do that? And I'm like, yeah, he actually did, you know. <laughs> and I was there, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was quite stunning when I got reminded of the goodness of God in our circumstances. Okay, into this series on the book of Daniel, uh, the ifs of living an intentional life. And uh, uh, we're basically working through the book of Daniel and, and how he and his friends were living intentional lives. And... Uh, uh, and in the face of captivity, persecution, death, they wouldn't compromise their faith. They were in a very, very different culture, the Babylonian culture. Even under intense pressure, they honoured God. And I think there's some great insights for us here today. And young people, there's a fair few out there at the moment, but, but there's some great insights for how young people can live their lives. Because these were young people. These guys were in captivity. These, these, this, this was a foreign culture. Um, they would have been very fearful. And, and, and for us in our Christianity, I think we're living in an even greater uh, level of hostility towards our Christianity, towards the, our, our, our walk with God and, and our belief system. And, and this can help us to understand how we can stay intentional on the way we face opposition, how we live our lives as Christians. And so I think there's some great, great lessons for us here. So far we've learnt, if we learn... Uh, we've looked at if we learn, if we try, if we trust, and if we stay is, is the, the subject matter of today. And um, uh, you see, in life, we just have to stay. Sometimes we just have to hang in there. We just have to stay firm. We just have to plant our feet, and no matter what comes us, we just have to stand strong. Um, you know, we just have to see things through in life sometimes. We can't work it all out. We don't know what the outcomes will be like in our lives, you know, but sometimes you've just got to stay strong, stay firm. And, uh, you know, and there's many true legends, uh, legends of Christianity and business and sport and life have just had to make a commitment in the tough stuff to not drop out, to not drop off. No matter what the opposition, I'm just going to hang in there and see this thing through. 
You know, Nelson Mandela is one of those. My goodness, what a magnificent example of just persistence, of, of, of perseverance, of just staying in the, in the tough times. You have to stay. You just have to stay to see things through in life. Calvin Coolidge said this, Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of education, educated derelicts. <laughs> so true. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and will always solve the problems of the human race. Persistence, perseverance, the staying true. You know, another great quote I got from a sporting great, Arnold Palmer, and this is one of the things I've had with me a long time, and it was pre my salvation days, and uh, he's a great old golfer. Uh, but he says this, and I had this written on my wall for a long time, if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger woman or man, but sooner or later, those who win are those who think they can. If we stay, if we stay, if we stay, if we don't give up, if we don't run, if we dare a little, if we, if we think we can, if we stay. And we will stay if we think we can often. We have to hang in there for the long call long haul, sorry. We have to stay intentional in our lives over a long period of time. No matter if we want to make a significant difference, we have to stay firm. You know, if we're only happy to make no difference or little difference, stay a short time. Just hang in there for a little bit. You know, if you aren't interested in making a great difference in your life, just do things in little short seasons here, there, everywhere. But if you want to make a long haul difference, a significant difference, you have to hang in there in life. There are no shortcuts in this life. I know we get sold the, the lie that there is, but I'm telling you there's not. To be success in life, it has to be to hang in there, to stay with it. It's a whatever-it-takes stance, and however long it takes. You see, that's the stance we need to take. You know, for our lives particularly, um, just to bring it down to personal application, you know, if it's a successful marriage you want, you know, you have to hang in there through the good times and the bad times, through the ups and the downs, you know, in sickness and in health, you know. We don't just get all the good stuff. You know, we have to work through those things we need to work through. And unfortunately for some people, marriage has almost become disposable, you know. And, um, and they, they think along the lines, well, I'm not happy. You're not meeting my needs and rather commit to working it out, they say, I'm out of here, see you later, have a good life or not, you know, I'll, I'll see you later. See, God takes this one flesh commitment really seriously, really seriously. It's supposed to be till death do us part. That, that's the promise many of us make in, in that marriage commitment. It, it's a whatever it takes, a how, however long it takes, if both partners committed to that, it will be a successful marriage, I'm telling you. It just will. If it's in business, success takes time and effort to build. There's no such thing as an overnight success. There isn't. I'm, take it for me. <laughs> an old, experienced man. You know, I've seen a bit over the years. And, and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as an overnight success. It may look like there is, but I'm telling you, there's not. It'll take time and effort and, and perseverance and toil and learning and growing and, and, and that's what builds a, a truly successful business. That's what builds a truly successful life if you want to bring it back to that. If it's parenting, we have to commit to the long term. We have to take a long term view. There's many ups and downs in parenting. I know that personally. I know that from, from our own experience. You know, and, and, and sometimes our kids will tell us they don't like us. They'll hate us sometimes and, and because we're bringing correction to a certain situation or whatever. But it's about the bigger picture. It's about the long haul. And it's not just to hassle them out for that, just for you want to do that. And it's also not about being their friend. You know, you, you don't have to be their friend to be their parent. In fact, if you're trying to be their friend, you're probably not doing it right. Because I'm telling you, you cannot really correct and bring correction to your kids 
while you try and stay their friend every day of their life. It's about the bigger... Here it is. It's about character development. Rob and I made a determination in our kids' lives. We would really go firmly with anything to do with character. So if we saw something about lying or deception or, or, or any of those things, we went strong at it. The other stuff, the piercings, the, all that stuff, who cares? They're only holes and they heal over anyway, you know? And we can get so out of shape about that, you know? Um, I couldn't care less. I mean, I don't particularly like to see those things hanging out of my kids, but that's okay. You know, they've all got over that now. You know, it was just a stage they were growing through. And uh, we have to think about with the end in mind, you know, we, we need to think about what that, how, who they become in this process about the character. If it's our Christianity, it's like everything else I've mentioned, we can't just be fair-weather Christians. Sometimes we've got to tough it out. Sometimes we've got to have the end in mind of what this will look like. What sort of legacy am I going to leave in my life? What's that going to look like? You know, is it for me, for my family, for, for my community and world, what sort of difference do I want to make? What, what, and therefore, what is the sacrifice I'm prepared to make to see those sorts of outcomes in my life? See, that's being intentional. That's not just going, oh, whatever. It's being intentional. It's not just a fluke. It's not while things are just easy. It's whatever it takes if we stay. And in church life, we've got to stay to make a difference. I'm telling you, we just have to stay to make a difference. If we want to make a significant difference in our communion world, if we really do, we've got to hang in there for the long haul. Stay committed to, to what God's called you to, you know? Um, and, and here's the thing. There's no such thing as a perfect church. <laughs> Problem is, if there is, as soon as we turn up, it's not going to be perfect anymore, you know? That's the truth. That's the truth. And, and we just need to understand that, that God wants us to grow up. He, he wants us to help to be the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, you and me, you know? Us together, we're the body of Christ. And, and Jesus is the head. And, and basically, um, we can't just take ourselves out of the body, take off a body part or an organ, and expect to survive. It'll just shrivel up. It just will, you know? And, 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 and we can't, um, we have to stay planted. We can't just transplant and expect to thrive in that process. We have to stay planted in the body of Christ to stay, you know, to be strong, to be really all God wants us to be. And, and here's the truth. I was talking to somebody this week about this, but I, I actually think there's a greater unity in diversity. So, so we don't have to all be the same. We don't have to all think the same, act the same, say the same words. In fact, I would be bored out of my head if that was the case, to be truthful. I love the diversity of the body of Christ. I love the differences we bring to the body. In fact, it's only then we can truly be the body of Christ, the, the full body of Christ, when we all bring what we have to bring to the table to, to outwork what God wants to do in this place. You know, and we have a common mission, of course, you know, to reach and positively influence our community world by building a significant church, loves God, loves people, loves life. That's our, our common call as a church here at Baylife. But we all bring our own aspects of our own considerations of what that would look like and some people are really interested in community stuff other people are interested in youth some people are interested in kids some people are interested in 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 healing whatever that looks like and we all come together and together we become the body of christ we all have our different personalities and our different giftings and and, and therefore it, it's it's bringing that diversity and together it brings great unity tremendous unity and so never apologize for being you. I want you to be you. You know, I had to say this to my wife in the early days of pastoring our church. She had a lot of expectations by other people of what a minister's wife was, a senior pastor, if you like. And she buckled under that a little bit. And if you know her, she's got a sanguine personality and uh, she's got a bit of a cleric edge as well. And uh, so she can be pretty bossy. And uh, don't I know it? And um, and she'd lost all the fun. She was trying to be this this prim and perfect sort of pastor's senior pastor, pastor's wife thing. And I said, I don't want you to be that. I want you to be you, because only when you are you, it completes me completely, so I can be me. 
well, you're not being you. I have to try and be every, something else in that process to compensate for that. And I think it's a little bit like that for the church. When you're not being you, when you're not stepping up to what God's called you to, someone else has got to compensate for what you're not doing. And therefore, it pulls us out of shape. We're not being as healthy and thriving as we're meant to do. Talking about thriving, I, I think some people took the, um, our, our uh, vision for this year literally and, and the multiplication thing, you know. I, uh, I, I see Joanna over here, um, nicely pregnant, and, uh, uh, and I also heard uh, Brooke and Tim Case are uh, expecting as well. And I've also got the news that Tristan and Chris are also expecting as well. So, so we're taking this thing pretty seriously, which I love to see. So give them all a clap. Well done. <laughs> taking this multiplication thing pretty seriously. So, uh, so, that, so that's what it's about, being the body of Christ, taking the vision seriously. Go and do what you need to do. But here's, here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to see it through. We have to stay. See, often, here's the thing, I'll try and bring it back a bit. God often does his work in us that is needed in the process. I want this to read you this quote because it's a great quote. It's from uh, Ezra Taft Benson. The Lord works from the inside out. The, Lord, the world works from the outside in. The world takes people out of the slums. Christ takes the slums out of the people. And then they take themselves out of the slums. The world would mould men by changing their environment. Christ changes men who then change their environment. The world would shape human behaviour, but Christ can change human nature. Yes, Christ changes men and change men can change the world. I love that. You see, that's the difference between uh, a natural way of approaching and, and the God way of approaching. Such a great, great quote. And here's what I truly believe. I truly believe the local church is the hope of the world. Nothing, nothing can make as much difference as a committed group of people on fire, determinant, passionate about God, the word of God, about the body of Christ, working together in unity to positively influence our community and world, to make a real difference. And we ha- to make a real difference, we have to stay. Stay true in your life to what God's called you to. Stay firm in the tough times. You know, the, the, the church, you know, we so often put so much emphasis on politicians and, and education, all great stuff, all stuff we need. But I'm telling you, truly, truly, I, I just think if we can really be all that we're meant to be in God, we can, we'll see the significant change in our, in our communities, in our worlds, a, a way that we, we have no other way structure. You know, and last week we, we spoke on if we trust, and, and one of the things I tr- touched on was the walls in our lives about how we as Christians, somewhere in our walk, will go through these walls that are holding us back from going to the next level in God and becoming all that we're meant to be. And, and I've got a, a faith diagram, um, stages of faith up there, and, and uh, basically you can see the different stages there. Um, you know, the first one is basically salvation, having awareness of God, discipleship, really important, um, uh, serving the active life. And, but somewhere along the line, we'll hit the wall. We'll hit the wall somewhere. And our choice is to go through that wall or not. Now, you can't go over the wall, you can't go under the wall, you can't go around the wall. You actually have to go through it. And there's some pain going through that. On the other side of it, you know, we see uh, a journey inward. It's part of the wall process. A journey outward and then transform into love. And I talked a little bit about that last week, so I won't spend too much time on that this week. Um, Except to say this, I will recap this just for those that weren't here. The wall is usually a crisis that turns our world upside down, perhaps in the form of divorce, a job loss, death of a close friend, family member, cancer diagnosis, disappointing church experience, betrayal, shattered dream, wayward child, car accident, inability to get pregnant, deep desire to get married, remains unfulfilled, a dryness or a loss in joy in our relationship with God. But it's not just the normal trials that we go through. It's not, James says they're good. You know, work something out in us. It's not those sorts of trials. These are the deep trials where we question ourselves, our God, the church, and we discover maybe for the first time that it appears our faith isn't working the way we thought it would. We don't know where God is. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know where he's going. We don't know how he's going to get us there. And when will this all be over, God? That's, that's the way we'll think about that. And if we aren't really intentional 
about going through that wall, we'll get stuck, we'll stagnate, we'll back off, we'll become the, the statistic, you know, and, uh, and I mentioned last week, I would talk about some of that this week as well, and I, I will in a minute. We have to stay true to ourselves and our faith. We have to stay, not in a striving sort of way, not, not in, in a really you know, intense sort of way, just stay on course, quiet determination, confidence that God is in control, you know, and, and, and we can't give up when things get tough. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt said this, you gain strength, courage and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You must do the thing which you think you cannot do. I love that. You see, when we, when we think about things like that, we actually start to rely on God because we know we can't do it. And the only way we're going to do this is if God does it. And we start to really rely on him in that process. And, and you know, let's get back to Daniel. So I've been a bit of a wide track there for a minute. But Daniel and his friends, it would have been much easier for them if they'd just done what everyone else had done. You know, don't cause any conflict. Just fit in, worship the idols, pray to their gods, uh, do what they ask and everything will be all right. But Daniel was determined to stay true to the course that God had called him to with his integrity and character and faith intact. He was so determined to stay true to God. He would not compromise, no matter what the cost. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6 this morning. I know we flicked over uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4 was basically when um, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and Daniel uh, interpreted it and then he went out and became the the animal out in the plains and ate grass and and dew on on his hair and... uh, uh, and Daniel 5 was the, the writing on the wall where uh, Belteshazzar was, was uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son, I think, and uh, he was the king at that time and, and it was writing on the wall and he was deposed as king. And this is where this next king comes in called Darius and, uh, and he's the new king, the new Persian king. And, uh, and now this king Darius has actually set up an administration with three administrators and 120 satraps. Now, I think the satraps are like governors or mayors or, or something like that, and the three administrators were over the top of them. Now, Daniel was one of those administrators. So who's one of the, the four most powerful men in the kingdom, uh, in Babylon at that stage? Pretty amazing. And uh, Daniel 6, verse 3 says this, Daniel so distinguished himself among them that the king planned to set Daniel over his whole kingdom. So he'd actually seen something great in Daniel and actually said, well, I'm going to put you above everybody problem was the other guys didn't like that idea you know this weird hebrew guys come in and, and he's going to oversee us all that, that's, that's that's not going to happen that was very distressing to them and, and so we told the administrators and satraps devised a plan to catch daniel out and betray him to actually kill him to get rid of him and uh in verse five we read this they're saying this about daniel we'll never find any basis of charges against this man daniel and it's, unless it's something to do with the law of his god so here's the betrayal, the, the next verse. The, here's the, the plan. Uh, verse 6 to 9 we're going to look at here. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And and I'm going to say this before you get some more context to this, but Daniel has already come through his wall. He is actually so relaxed and at ease with himself, with his circumstances, in God, his trust in God, He's already died to himself. You see, for us, this is counterintuitive. When pain comes in our life or hurt or betrayal or whatever that looks like, we turn away from it. We don't want to deal with it. But what we've got to do is actually turn towards our pain. We've actually got to make an intentional choice to actually work through that pain because, you see, that's the heart of our Christian faith. It's this, the way to life is through death. You know, the pathway to resurrection is is through crucifixion. The seed has to die before it produces the fruit. It, it, it's what we're meant to do. And, and so it's so much easier to say than to do. I realise that. Um, 
and a lot of this information I'm using for this part of the wall is, is from a book I've read called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Kazara. And, uh, and so often we react to hurt and pain and bad news through those defensive mechanisms we've learned as children. Stay with me now. I know it's, it's going to get just a bit of information, but I just want you to get this. And, and those mechanisms are valuable as children. They protect us from trauma and actually allow us to survive emotionally as kids when you go through tough stuff. But if we hang on to those defensive manoeuvres into our adulthood, it actually holds us back from growing spiritually and emotionally. And you might recognise a few of these things. Here's a few common defences. Denial. I'm just fine. You got them? I'm just fine. Nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. It didn't worry me that I got humiliated in front of all the staff and, and I'm fired from my job or, or, I, or, or you know, I'm not in that relationship anymore. We've only been together for 20 years. Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, fine, I'm fine. The other one, blaming others. Never take responsibility for actions or reactions. Looking to blame, blame someone or anyone else. You know those sorts of people. They never take the blame. They never, they never apologise very often. They never actually say, oh, yeah, I did something wrong in that. They just won't admit it. They'll blame someone else or anyone else. Rationalising. Excuses, justifying, even adjusting the memory of the situation so they truly believe it happened that way. Minimising to protect ourselves. Intellectualising. Coming up with the big picture theories and general statements by, by not dealing with their own stuff in the process. And I, I, they're so frustrating, those people. You're trying to talk about something specific and they go... Yeah, but the big picture is, and they try to take up this big picture scenario, which, which is good, good negotiation skills, but it actually is not very helpful in processing your pain. Distracting, using humour or changing the subject away from any discussion about threatening subtopics. Becoming hostile. Get angry or irritable whenever that subject comes up. And you know it's often pride that won't let us deal with those issues. Or, or get help. Or get help. Pride will hold us back from that. And so that leads me to this. These are some of the things we can work, help to work through to move through our wall. And, and, and these are like the dross or the impurities that need to be purified in the fire and skimmed off from our lives. And, and you may have heard of something called the seven deadly sins. Um, this guy calls them the seven deadly spiritual imperfections. And they fall in these areas. And to be truthful, we all have some of these, all of these, some of the time. Okay? We all, all of these sins are part of all the makeup of the way man made as a, a carnal man. And, and the first of these, some more than others for us. Pride. We tend to condemn and judge others and are impatient with other people's faults. Uh, often unteachable. They, they, won't step, they won't stay under any authority. They'll keep stepping out. Pride is the root of, of a lot of their sin, I reckon. Greed, always being discontent with what you have, that there is never enough, never enough, no matter how much you've got, never enough. Always having to have an abundance, even at the expense of others. Whoa. See, that's not the way we meant to work in Christianity. Lust, taking pleasure in God's blessing, but not God himself. Hear this, this is such a great, Understanding of this. Taking pleasure in God's blessings, but not God himself. It's not just about sexual gratification. It's got a lot to do with that. But it's a wrong passion for something that doesn't belong to oneself. It doesn't own, you don't belong it, and you're lusting for it. Anger. Wanting revenge, impatience, bullying others to get our way, using anger to achieve our outcomes. Gluttony wanting excess in every area of our lives. It's about food, but it applies to much greater level than that. Give me more, give me more, give me more, whatever that is. Give me more, give me more. I, I need more, you know. Never be, being content with what they've got, whether I need it or not. Envy. Weeping when others rejoice. And rejoicing when others are weeping. Now, it could be so much caring about what's on the other side of the fence, the grass on the other side of the fence, that you don't look after your own grass. You don't, you're not thankful. You're not, you don't have any gratitude. You're not looking at what you've actually got and being thankful for that. You're always looking over the fence at what others have got. Laziness, ignoring our responsibilities, running from that which looks like hard work, always looking for the shortcut. 
Don't you know those people? I've been there, always looking for the shortcut. Yeah, but I need money. I'm looking for the shortcut. I, 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 you know, I want to I be able to retire when I'm 20, you know, and looking for the shortcut. And you go, duh, it's not going to happen like that. You just got to stay. You just got to stay for the long haul. Just got to hang in there. Do the right thing on a consistent basis over a long period of time and you will see those outcomes in your life. And some of those sins need to be dealt with when we're in the fire, when we're coming through our wall. And, and a few of the traits um, of a person that have come through a wall are very much what, like Daniel. So I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but, but let's have a look at this quickly and then I'll move into the scripture again. First of all, they have a greater level of brokenness. A greater level of brokenness. They don't have to justify or even protect themselves. They're at ease with their own weaknesses. They don't judge others for theirs. They don't need to get revenge. They, don't, they truly forgive others readily. And through this brokenness, they get to closer to the sort of believer that Jesus is preaching about on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Matthew 5.38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your cheek, let him have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to one who asks you, but do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And in verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, Daniel did that, and I'll show you that in a minute. The second one is this. These people have come through the wall, often appreciate the mystery of not knowing how things will work out. They're okay with that. They're okay with not knowing what God is doing. They're, not, they're okay with not knowing how this will end. They don't have to be in control of everything. They don't try and strangle everything. They live day by day. And there's a freedom about that, absolute freedom about that. They're content to wait for God. And I want to read a, a paragraph of, um, uh, out of a book I've, I've also read late last year and early this year, Sidetracked in the Wilderness, it was called, by Michael Wells. And I know it's a bit long and I know I'm giving you lots of information, but I'll get to the scripture to finish it off in a second. The greatness of faith is not judged by how many of God's promises you have experienced today or how much material gain you possess or even how much good health you have received. The greatness of your faith is shown in proportion to how long you have to wait for the fulfillment of a promise. Wow. Again, Greatness of faith is not proven in what is received, but how long a person can wait without wavering to receive. And it goes on. What would you think of a farmer who planted his, his wheat and followed, the following day was running up and down the field with a harvester? You would consider the farmer, be, farmer to be quite mad, of course, because he'd not learned to wait for God to do his life-sustaining transformation under the ground out of sight of man. So it is with the promises of God. You must wait and the greatness of faith is proven in the ability of the believer to rest until harvest, and knowing all the while that the work must be done is a supernatural one that God alone can accomplish. That's such a great quote. I know it's a lot of information. You probably didn't get the full impact of that. But, but it's actually about waiting for God, waiting on God. And the fourth thing, really quickly, a greater detachment. You know, these people are, are, are emotionally... Uh, mature enough not to get emotionally involved with everything. They, they, they don't get invested in, in the outcomes. They, they actually can stand back from it and they recognise the ups and the downs and, and not judging everything. Okay, so let's have a look at how Daniel operated in this. We'll see how he stayed and trusted and how God brings the victory in our lives. So let's have a look at um, verse 10. You see Daniel's response here. He's been uh, betrayed by the other administrators and the satraps. They want to kill him, murder him. And, he, and so in verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So I don't know if you get that, but Daniel learns that the, about the decree. So what did he do? He's one of the four um, most powerful men in Babylon. He didn't rush to the king to defend himself. He, he didn't try to get the decree cancelled. He didn't try to use his high position to influence anybody or anything or, or take out the other administrators or, or get revenge or, 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 or any of that stuff. It tells us he, he went home and opened his windows wide and prayed three times a day. Not just praying how I would have prayed. God, pray to you, bless people, amen. No, 
He prayed down on his knees. He got down on his knees, his hands in the air, and he just blessed God and he prayed. He prayed for the king. He prayed for the circumstance. He actually, with an open window, so everyone could see him praying. You see, that's a wonderful testimony. That, that's, that's, that's a belief. That's, that's without compromise. I'm doing what I've always done. And, and he wouldn't compromise. He believed he stayed true to himself and he's God in this way. See, it's if we stay. And if you look what Daniel prayed in verse 11, Daniel was praying, found praying and asking God for help. He wasn't going to manipulate things himself. He wasn't going to maneuver things for himself. He was praying and asking God for help. Church, we have to get to that place in our lives. But when those circumstances come, we trust God. We're prepared to, to stay firm on the track God's got us on. You see, Daniel knew there were going to be consequences. He knew uh, he was going to need God's help in this process. He knew if he stayed, somehow God would get the victory, though. If he stayed true to that, stay firm. One way or another, God would get the victory. He knew the consequences of what he was doing would mean his punishment and probably death because that was the decree, to be thrown in the lion's den. He stayed true anyway. And so Daniel was summoned and, uh, and basically you know, got before the king and said the king had no alternative but to throw him in the do- lion's den overnight. And we'll read this from verse 16. Um, I might fast forward on that a little. He got thrown in the the lion's den and uh, the king returned to his palace, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, was really turned up by it. Uh, So first light, next day, verse 19, uh, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. Daniel was lifted out of the den. No wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. See, after Daniel survived the lion's den for the night, do you note his response? O king, live forever. See, that was so honouring, so respectful. Even though this guy had actually put him in the lion's den to kill him, his first response is, O king, live forever. I love that. So pure in response. Okay, let's read on from from verse 24. At the king's command, the the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Pretty tough. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then the king, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every nation, uh, language throughout the land, "May you prosper greatly. I do issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and miracles in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered." You see, every part of that journey, Daniel would think, I'm not going to prosper in this. Our natural response would be, I'm not going to prosper in this. I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed. I'll do whatever I can to make sure I don't get killed. He trusted and he stayed true to what God had called him to. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And in the midst of our fears and tragedies in life, we have this amazing opportunity to trust God is at work in our lives even when we can't recognize that immediately. We have to stay around long enough to see God outwork the victory in our lives, in our circumstances, just like Daniel did. And I'm going to finish with a, a story. I was, when Romans 5, 1 to 5 is a great scripture. And it says that, you know, um, it says this in verse 3, not only so we will rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, it's all for purpose. I know you can't see purpose in the midst of your chaos. I know sometimes it's tempting to, to bail out, to, to take the easy track, to do the shortcut, whatever that looks like for you. God's got a purpose in it. I'm telling you, he does. God does work all things for the good of those who love him. 
and are called according to his purpose. Just got to stay true to his purpose. Leave the rest to God. Let me finish with this, this story as the musos come. It's called Blessing or Curse, I think. It's by Alex, Max Licato, um story. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all because he owned a beautiful white horse. People offered fabulous prices for the horse, but the old man refused to sell it. This horse is a friend, not a possession, he would respond. One morning, the horse was not in the stable. All the villagers said, you old fool, we told you someone might steal that beautiful horse. You could have at least gotten the money for it. Now the horse is gone and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, perhaps all I know is that my horse is gone. The rest I do not know. Whether it is a curse or a blessing, I can't say. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He'd run away to the forest. And not only had he returned, but he brought back a dozen wild horses back with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the old man and said, You were right. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The old man responded, Perhaps. Once again, you've gone too far. How do you know if this is a blessing or a curse? Unless you can see the whole story, how can you judge? But the people could only see the obvious. The old man now had 12 additional horses that would be broken and sold for a great deal of money. The old man had a son, an only son. He began to break the wild horses. Unfortunately, after a few days, the son fell from a horse and broke both his legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and said, you were right, the wild horses were not a blessing, they were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs and now in old age you'll have no one to help you. You are poorer than ever. But the old man said, perhaps don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. We only have a fragment of the whole story. And so it happened. After a few weeks later, the country went to war with a neighbouring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. The only, the, only the son of the old man was excluded because he had two broken legs. Once again, the people gathered around, crying because there was little chance their sons would return. You were right, old man. Your son's accident was a blessing. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. You people, people are always quick to jump to conclusions. Only God knows the final story. Church, don't judge where you are right now. Don't, don't judge God. Don't judge your, your life's outcomes by where, what you're in right now. God's got a bigger plan and purpose for you. And we've got to stay firm till the end. We've got to stay true to what God's called us to. Because we don't know. The thing that we think looks like a cursing might just be a blessing. And the thing we look looks like a blessing might just be a curse. But don't judge it. Just let just keep consistent on the way through. Let God take care of that other stuff. If we stay true, if we stay firm in that process. Let's stand to our feet and we'll finish the morning. You know. I don't know what challenges are in front of you right now in your life. All I do know is that God is a God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is beyond him. Nothing is, is beyond his capabilities, beyond his view, beyond uh, who he is. And he's got all things in hand. I'm telling you, he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He won't let you go through, through more than you can stand. More than you can deal with. And he will work all things for the good of those that love him and called according to his purpose. Stay true to his purpose. Stay firm. Young people, stay firm in the, in the, 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 the process of persecution or, or teasing or, 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 or whatever that looks like. Stay firm. Stay firm. God has called you. You know that in your hearts. Don't you ever let that go. Don't you ever let that go. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. God, that it is, is not up to us. God, we just got to stay close to you in this journey of life. And God, we trust you. We, we, we decide to stay close to you in this process, Father. God, we don't want to get ahead of you, though. We want to stay close to you, right close to you, Father. And Father, this morning, I, I pray for those ones that are going through tough times, Lord. 
I just pray for your Holy Spirit to fill them afresh here this morning, Lord. We, we, we saw what, what, uh, what you can do, God, and, and we call down your Holy Spirit afresh today, God. We ask to be filled with your Holy Spirit afresh today, Lord, because when you are with us, nothing is impossible in our lives, God. We give you the opportunity to do what you want to do in us today, Lord, so that it can be outworked through us, Father. And if you're here this morning, maybe you, you haven't been here before, you've been here many times before, but you never made that decision to follow Jesus. You've never actually articulated that, you've never said that out loud. Here's this morning is the right time to do it. If that's you this morning, it's very, very simple. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand in the air and I'm going to pray with you at the end of the service. If you've done this sometime before, but you've renounced that in this short season, before, or, or if you've never done this before, or you feel like you just lost your way in God and you're completely consumed by the circumstances in your life, here's a chance to get right with God this morning. Here's a chance. If that's you, just stick your hand up and go, God, Greg, I just want you to pray with, with me. And just pray God's hand on my life once again. I need God in my life. I need Him in, as a center of my life, not just as a, a peripheral thing, but right in the center. If that's you this morning, just stick your hand up. Just just right now, just respond. Great. Great. Anyone else here? Great. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you, you know, you saw those hands and you, you know what's in our hearts, God. You know what we need. And Father God, I pray this morning that we stay committed to what you want us to us committed to, Father. And God, it's not the world, it's not the stuff of the world, it's you, Father. It's through Jesus Christ, the victory that was won for us by Jesus Christ, your Son, through the Holy Spirit that resides within us as Christians, God. How can we ever denounce that, Lord? How can we ever step away from that, Father? Keep us strong, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year, Lord. Let, us be the, let that be the testimony of our lives, God. I pray that in your precious name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, let's give God a great big applause this morning. He's awesome. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.